Hey everybody, I'm Jen Garrett, and I've used my Move the Ball system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize the same tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey everyone, Jen Garrett here. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball community for quite some time, I'm glad that you're here with us today. This podcast is all about business, branding, sports, leadership, and of course, how to move the ball. And I'm just going to put it out there that if you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice so that you never miss an episode. And again, to those who have reached out to me over the past few weeks about the show, thank you so much for all of your feedback. I truly appreciate all of you. All right. So today, I've got a fantastic guest with us, someone who played in the NFL, who has a couple of BCS national championships under his belt, and who knows how to make things happen. Inside the huddle with us, and ready to help us move the ball today by sharing his perspectives, insights, and lessons, is Quentin Dial. Quentin is a former American football nose tackle who played college football at the University of Alabama, where, as I mentioned, he won two, that's right, roll tide, whereas I mentioned he won two BCS national championships in 2011 and 2012. Post his college football career, Quentin was drafted in the fifth round of the 2013 NFL draft by the San Francisco 49ers, where he played for four seasons. He then finished his NFL career with the Green Bay Packers. Quentin, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Well, I'm so glad to have you with us today. Uh, obviously, I say roll tide to so I'm super excited to talk with, with another Bama alum and uh, talk a little bit about Bama football on the show as well. So again, thank you for being here with us. So where I wanted to kick off our conversation is let's talk a little bit about how football connects so well to business, to your career, and to just life. As people listening know, in my book, Move the Ball, I discuss a number of strategies, principles, lessons that show people how football is such a parallel to business and life and how they can use it to reach that next level of success. Can you share with us some of the lessons that you've learned from playing football that have helped you to be successful both on and off the field? Football has taught me a tremendous amount of responsibilities and ways that I can approach life and whatever it throws at me. I'll give you an example. I remember I was at the University of Alabama. We was doing our four-quarter program during off season, And um, we had to do this long deal running for like an hour. And I just, that day, I just wasn't feeling it, you know. I remember Coach Saban telling me that, not me personally, but the team, the days you don't feel like doing anything or generally the days you usually how, how can I say this? Or more productive in a sense. And how you look at life. Not everybody likes paying bills. Not everybody likes, you know, the responsibilities of being an adult. But it's just something that we have to do. And that's one of the, the deals that I had to, to endure. And I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, there are days for all of us where we're not feeling it. We don't want to do certain things, but we have to. And that's one thing that I've had. I've had this conversation with a lot of athletes before, not necessarily on the show, but about how being a competitive athlete, you're taught that you have to show up no matter what, whether you're feeling it or not, you still show up. 
and you perform and you handle your business that day because that's what you're supposed to do. And that's what we do in life as well. We have to show up, right? And we have to handle our business. So what I want to talk with you about is you played college football um, at junior college first, East Mississippi Community College. Talk to us about your first two years playing college football in that environment. Uh, My first two years at East Mississippi Community College was an eye-opening experience. It was in Scuba, Mississippi. It's a very small town, six miles west, or excuse me, east of uh, West Alabama. There's nothing but a stoplight, two gas stations in a town. <laughs> that was something I was not used to, and it was probably one of the hottest places I've ever been in the summer. But it taught me a lot about life in general, To just to know that in order to get to something you want in life, you have to do something you've never done. And so in order for me to get to where I wanted to go, which is ultimately the University of Alabama, I had to do something I've never done, which is go here, play two seasons, you know, learn as much as I can, you know, make sure that I hit the books hard in a classroom. But uh, the experience was really great. We actually won the championship my freshman year. I think we, I can't remember how many games we won, but we won a lot of games. I think we lost maybe one or two games that year. Coach Buddy Stevens and his staff, they did a great job with all of us. We had a lot of talent on that team. It was definitely an opening experience, and it definitely made me start to appreciate the little things in life, especially once I got to the University of Alabama. And talk to us about what were some of the things that you did to ensure your continued success to play D1 football at a school such as Alabama while you were in community college? Well, remember, remember where I come from and, you know, remember that you're le- what, less than 1% of the world that actually gets to go to college and, and play sports on a scholarship. You know, you have so many kids looking up to you. I just, me personally, my mindset was to be grateful that God has blessed me with a tremendous talent that I can go and, you know, this is how my college is paid for it, right? And so that was my mindset and mentality going forward once I got to college and just count the days and um, make the days count, don't count the days mentality, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I like that. It's one, having that attitude of gratitude. Two, it's making each day count, not taking it for granted. And something else you said that I really like was doing something that you've never done to get where you want to go, essentially. And I've I've, uh, heard a number of high-performing, successful entrepreneurs talk about that because basically what they say is that you the habits that you put in place today or the, the, the things that you've done today, I should say, have been done because of the habits you had in place already. They've gotten you so far, but to get to where you want to go, you have to shift and make changes, right? So you can do things you haven't done to get to where you want to go, that place that you've never been. And it's all about just being disciplined is what it boils down to. You know, you have the the 6 a.m. workouts, you have the 3 p.m. conditioning on in a hot summer day when it's blazing hot. Nobody wants to do that, but in order to be successful, you have to do those things. And I was always the one to show up five o'clock in the morning every day. And I was one of the last ones to leave. 
looking back on your junior college career for guys that are have a lot of players that listen to the show for guys who are maybe playing at the junior college level now and are looking to make that transition are there any things that you wish you had known when you were there or pieces of advice that you could pass on for people aside from the discipline and the things we talked about a piece of advice that i would give guys that's in the juco level is don't take anything for granted man football could be here today going tomorrow I know things are, are tough at that level. I personally experienced it. I say just work your tail off. Make sure your grades are good in the classroom and be respectful to your coaches because at the end of the day, you will need your coaches to help promote you to, to get a scholarship at the next level, essentially. And if you're going to be a, excuse my language, and ask to your coach, your coach is not going to promote you to anybody. And just show up each and every day, be respectful, and work your tail off. Hit the classroom. When you do all those things, you're destined for, for greatness and to continue your football career. That's great advice. So let's transition to you being at Alabama for a minute. Talk to us about that transition. Obviously, you won two championships there. You're a junior and senior year. But what was it like? moving from the JUCO level to a school like Alabama and such an elite football program? Oh, man, I was, I mean, my first day on campus was like, wow, like I finally made it. I was just like in awe of how big the campus was, first of all, how nice everything was. Walking into the football locker room was like a dream come true and seeing like how much gear, how many pair of shoes and cleats that, I had at the dispense of, hey, can I get this? Hey, can I get that? It just really felt like what a tremendous accomplishment from junior college because at the junior college level, like you can't get anything at the dispense of, hey, can I get this? Or, hey, can I get that? Like it's either you have to buy it yourself or coach will think about it. <laughs> that was probably one of the most rewarding feelings for me coming from the junior college level to Alabama and not having everything definitely made me appreciate everything that I had at Alabama for sure. Absolutely. And let's talk about the culture. What was the culture like there, the football program? At Alabama, the culture was number one, hands down, like a family atmosphere. Everybody made me feel so welcome. Like I felt like I've been there for like five years when I got there. I've only been there a week. And everybody already, you know, daffing me up like, hey, man, welcome. We're so glad to have you. You know, you know, you can do some great things on the field, but we want you to come in and buy into the program. And you're just going to fit right in with just one of the guys, you know. The culture was absolutely family atmosphere, 100%. And I think that's important when you look at winning cultures, whether it's in a football program or in a successful business is it's that welcoming family type environment that embracing people right off the bat and making them feel a part of something. Absolutely. Well. I think that's one of the number one driving factors into having success. Because if you can have a family atmosphere, whether that's in the business world, the sports world, then you, you allow guys to be themselves. And once you allow guys to be themselves, then you have an enormous amount of talent brought together in one room and the sky's the, the limit is how far you can take this thing. 
Absolutely. So let's talk about Coach Saban for a minute. I mean, the, the Alabama coaching staff over the years has always been top-notch. Coach Saban has been there for many years. What about it in your mind makes him so great? I think Coach Saban is a truly a player's coach. I think he is obviously great at what he does, but I think one of the, the key factors is he listened to his players. Not many coaches at the college level will do that. It's either my way or the highway. Coach Saban, he has a panel of seniors, like junior senior guys that are like captains or co-captains. And we meet with, you meet with these guys on a, I think a weekly basis when I was there. I don't know if things have changed since then. But like he would ask us questions like, how are you guys feeling? What are you guys thinking about X, Y, and Z, right? I was thinking that we can do this on this day or this and that day, you know, some along those lines, but he actually listens to the players. And I think that's one of the carbon footprints of the success of the program. Once he instills these principles and values that the program is based on, that he run his program on, like, the sky's the ceiling, no question. Sure. And that style is really one where you're empowering everyone to be involved in the process versus right. one that's just dictating this is how it's going to be today. And like it or not, this is it. Right. Suit up. Let's go. So I right. think that's a great point that you that you make. So let's talk about Alabama's uh, national championships that you are a part of. So the first one it was the 2011 season. It was the 2012 All-State BCS National Championship game. You guys ended up playing LSU, who had been undefeated. LSU had beaten Alabama in the regular yeah. season. So talk to us about going into that championship game, how you were feeling, what were some of the things you guys said to each other to kind of stay focused, locked in, and handle your business? One thing we knew going into the game that we were obviously the underdogs. And I remember me... Damian Square and Jesse Williams, we all sat down and we was having a conversation and it consisted of, you know, we have, essentially, we have nothing to lose. We've already lost to them in the regular season, six to nine, which was obviously heartbreaking, but we lost them already. So if we go out here and do what we know we can do and like handle our business, we would be victorious. They got lucky a few times the last game. And they got a couple first downs, and that's how they got the field goals. What was it? The three field goals, I think. But essentially, we knew that if everybody showed up, do everything that we can do possible, and stick to the game plan, we're going to be victorious. Sure. And just so for people that aren't familiar with that game, you guys ended up shutting out LSU, winning 21 to nothing, making it Alabama's 14th national championship. And for those people that geek out on stats and things, it was the first shutout in a national championship game since the Orange Bowl back in 1992. And it was the first shutout in a BCS bowl game. So as a Bama fan myself, obviously I was excited for the, uh, for the outcome and uh, work with a lot of players at LSU and love getting to relive some of the, the games from way back in the days. It was actually crazy too, because obviously we stayed there down in uh, New Orleans, close to Bourbon Street. And every day, like, we would probably go get something to eat or just leave the hotel. You know, all the, the LSU fans, 
tiger bait, tiger bait. And after we beat the crap out of them, 21-0, and we get back to the hotel, I've never seen an LSU fan. Everybody cleared out so quick. Sure. <laughs> and what did Coach Saban say to you guys after the game? Anything memorable? He was like, that's how you play. That's how I knew we could play. And that's how we finished the game, finished the season. That's definitely one of the more memorable moments. That's how you kick their ass. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so when you look at some of your teammates that had a key impact in the game, you know, Trent Richardson, for example, Courtney Upshaw, Barrett Jones, when you look at like the guys that you played with, what is it about the team that makes you guys? I mean, obviously everyone's talented. Right, but what is it about the team that makes the team special? I think at every position we have a, a group of leaders that can impact the young guys in a positive way. I think when you are well respected by your peers, you go out on each and every Saturday and show the world what you can do. I think it says something, and your your teammates have nothing to do but to respect you. I think it's pretty cool that Coach Saban. A lot of times, let the the junior senior guys coach up the young guys. He don't necessarily had to always impede and chew somebody out. It would be the upperclassmen doing that for him. So I think in that way, those guys were very special because they stood up and said something when something needed to be said. Like Dante Hightower, I remember we was in camp going into the 2011 season. And uh, practice just wasn't going great. You know, everybody was titled like day 10. We were running two a days and everybody was just tired, body hurting, sore. And Dante went up to coach and said, hey, coach, I want to stop practice and call everybody up. He did that. And he said, you know, guys, I know it's hot out here. It sucks, you know, but in order to get to where we want to be, we're going to have to pick this up. And after he said that, that was like, Basically, what he said, I can't repeat everything. <laughs> but after he said that, you know, everybody like, okay, here we go. We got it. This is what we got to do. And he never had to say anything else after that, which is pretty cool. Well, also, great leaders do, right? Is they energize and excite their team. They get people fired back up, even when it's a hot day, right? And you don't feel like being in there. It's that being able to connect with your team and keeping them going, getting them excited to, to continue to go after whatever it is they're doing. Absolutely. So let's talk real quickly. So Alabama won that national championship, then went back-to-back, won again the following year. What was that like winning back-to-back championships? You know, it was a great feeling. You know, it's definitely hard to win one, but going back-to-back was even tougher because you got everybody coming after you. But I think, man, that was a great experience. I think we had the SEC championship my senior year too. Mm-hmm. in Georgia against Notre Dame for the national championship down in Miami. Man, uh, you talk about a way to finish your college career was absolutely awesome. There's no, probably no better feeling outside of seeing the birth of my kids than winning back-to-back national championships. Oh, for sure. And what would you say was kind of the success of keeping the momentum going into that second season and then ultimately winning the championship? Obviously, when you win, you want to celebrate and take some time to, you know, get your body healed up. But you have to realign and, and get back focused on the next goal. You know, you can't sit here and dwindle. Oh, yeah, we just went back to back or oh, we just won a national championship. 
you have to realign yourself and realign your vision and come up with new goals because it's obviously the next year will be a different team. And that's what we had to do from my junior year to my senior year. And we had to get back focused. Absolutely. Sometimes people, they, they live on a success and then they let that success drive complacency versus letting that success go, taking credit for that, celebrating that, but then handling what the next goal needs to be and focusing on continuing to do great things. So let's transition out of Alabama football and talk for a minute about you playing in the NFL. You know, a lot of guys that I have on the show or that I work with always talk about how the speed of the game is so different and the NFL is a business and you know those are some of the eye-opening things that they've seen for you when you went to play for the 49ers was there something different from the the, the NFL was from playing at Alabama like oh okay this is what the NFL is like what would that be for you some aha moment or some eye-opening thing well going into my first offseason Definitely an eye-opening experience was the size of the team was obviously a lot smaller. You see guys that's been here for 10, five, six years or or 10 years. That was definitely eye-opening. But I think one of the the more eye-opening experiences for me is you could be sitting at breakfast with a guy and 20 minutes later, he could be gone. I think that for sure learning that side of the business was like, damn, I got to make sure I'm on my stuff each and every day because I don't want to ever get that call or, hey, I got to go see the general manager or head coach. So I got to make sure I'm on my stuff each and every day and stay performing at a high level. And just knowing how guys take care of their bodies and how they last so long in the NFL was another experience that I had to learn. And that's why I lasted the length of time that I did, knowing what type of foods to put in your body, the vitamins, you know, how often you get a massage, you know, just little things like that, that you would essentially in college take for granted. But when you're in the NFL, you have to do these things in order to to stay producing on the field. Absolutely. And what we see and we continue to see that the average NFL career is shortened. And so now we're looking at about two years, it used to be 3.2 years. Yeah. And so yeah, obviously taking care of your body is important. Nutrition, what you're putting to your body is important. And you're absolutely right as far as, you know, you could have someone next to you and 20 minutes later, they're gone. I mean, it is a, a business where you are very replaceable at a moment's notice. So it's it's always staying on top of your game and never forgetting how replaceable you are. And so for guys that are either in the league or thinking about going in the league, like what would you say to them that might be listening about how to continue to, what kind of things should they be doing aside from what we just said to help ensure their success in the league? I would say, you know, there's a variety of things that you need to do. I think one is probably getting with a, a veteran guide and, and have a veteran teach you the way in terms of how to study, how to pre- how to prepare each and every day and for Sunday. Maybe get with a dietitian in terms of finances because NFL stands for not for long. Make sure you're doing the right things with your money. Don't be out here doing all the stupid stuff, buying all the, the $2,000 shoes or the $10,000 chains. Because I know there's a lot of guys, or at least that I played with, that have come from, you know, a lot of unfortunate situations. So you get 
a little bit of change in your pocket and you want to go crazy. But a lot of guys don't realize, you know, once the season stops, these checks stops and they don't start back up until the following season. So knowing how to financially, you know, set a budget and stick to it, I think that's one of the harder things a lot of guys have trouble with pre and post career. Another advice I would give is training habits. Make sure you have good training habits. I think that's, that'll be probably it. But yeah, just take advantage of your opportunity when you, whenever you get one. Because everybody, at the end of the day, everybody is dispensable. And you'll find that out, whether it's you or a teammate. Everybody will find that out one day. So Absolutely. Yeah. Great pieces of advice. And I mean, one of the things that I work with a lot of guys on are is preparing themselves for beyond football and, uh, you know, making sure that they're networking while they're still in the league. Um, very big on making sure that players have a strong LinkedIn presence, just as an example, and are building that network and creating opportunities to help position themselves for life beyond the game. When you think of it in terms of of that in success beyond football, are there any other things that you would suggest guys do while they're still in the league to help position for post football outside of the finances piece? Absolutely. Take advantage of every opportunity to meet with. If there's business opportunities that the team put on, please go network with people because you can get hurt and that can be it for you. As long as you have that connection with people, People will be willing to help you in each and every way that they can. So please take advantage of every opportunity because that NFL logo will be attached to your name for the rest of your life. And as long as people see that, people are willing to help you. So take advantage of every opportunity. So that way your transition from the game to back to what you would say normal life would be easy as possible. Absolutely. Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, utilize that brand, the NFL brand, while you're a part of it too, to continue to open doors or make relationships, create relationships, build them, because those will help you post football. So Quentin, what I want to do now is let's transition. So you're out of the NFL, you're a dad to two beautiful children, two boys. Talk to us about fatherhood and what that's like and how your boys are keeping you busy now. I think being a parent is one of the most challenging and rewarding jobs that I'll probably ever have in my life. The challenges is, one of the challenges we're facing now is they're both are up at the butt crack of dawn, six o'clock every morning. <laughs> <laughs> and they're ready yeah. to eat breakfast at six o- at six o five. <laughs> yes. But I think it is definitely rewarding, you know, seeing how they interact with each other, how they how much they love each other. I think that part of it is definitely rewarding for me to see because I'm not very close with my siblings, but knowing what I'm instilling into my kids, my boys, and, you know, teaching them the importance about family and how to lean on one another when you're having a good day or when you're having a bad day or when your day is just okay, like to let them know that family will be here regardless. Absolutely. So, Quentin, what I want to do now to uh, end the show is I want to take you through my two-minute drill. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. The first question is, what did you want to be when you were 10 years old? When I was 10 years old, I always wanted to be a police officer. Okay. How about who would play you in a movie about your life? Who would play me? 
Oh, that's a good question. Denzel Washington. <laughs> that's a good choice. Um, not normally in my two-minute drill, but I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite football movie? Oh, that's a good one. The only reason I, I threw that in there is because when you say Denzel, of course, I thought of, um, I thought of Remember the Titans because that's my favorite one. Um, that's, that's, that's a great one. That's a classic. Yes, yes. All right. How about what is your favorite vacation spot? Oahu in Hawaii. Nice. How about your favorite ice cream flavor? Bluebell homemade vanilla. That's good. How about what is a pet peeve of yours? Not having a plan. It's important to have a plan. Absolutely. It's important to have a plan. Yes. How about what book are you currently reading or podcast are you currently listening to? The book I'm currently reading is Kobe Bryant, The Mama Mentality. Mm -hmm. Great book. Yeah, it's on my list. I haven't read it yet, but it's definitely on my list. And my last question is, you are hosting a dinner party. And you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? I would choose Barack Obama, Denzel Washington, and Muhammad Ali. And why would you choose those three? Well, they're the top, probably the best at what they do in their chosen professions. And I would just like to, you know, sit down and grab a couple nuggets from them. And what I mean by nuggets is, a couple bits of information as in why they are successful, what did they have to do, you know, things of that nature and see if I could take a nugget here, take a nugget there and try to implement it into things that I'm trying to do. Yes, definitely three great uh, people in their respective fields. And I'm sure they have plenty of nuggets that they can pass on. So quite as we look to close the show, do you have any last thoughts for our listeners? And can you also tell people how they can follow you on your journey? Yeah, you can you can follow me on my Instagram is Quentin Dial92. And on Facebook, I don't have a Twitter, but on Facebook it's just Quentin Dial92. As to any advice, I would say there's gonna be a lot of people in life that doubt you. I think one of the biggest things in life is if you believe in yourself, do it. Don't let anybody stop you or hold you back from accomplishing your goals or your dreams that you want to accomplish in life. I think as long as you believe in yourself, that's the biggest support you need. I think you can accomplish anything you want in life if you believe in yourself. Absolutely. Yes, I think that's a very powerful piece of advice. And throughout our careers, we'll have people that will tell us we can't do something. And you have a choice. Right. From those conversations, you can choose to listen or you could choose to say, you know what? I still have that confidence and belief in me. I'm going to go after what's important to me and I will move the ball. Damn it. (laughs) So thank you for sharing that last piece of advice. And Quentin, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a true pleasure to have you on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And thank you to everyone for listening. And we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.